And I got to finish these 10 essentials uh, for living out the biblical blueprint for work. Because all of us are working in some shape, form, or fashion. And we got to have a paradigm shift. You know what a paradigm is? Paradigm is a system of belief. What shapes your belief system? What shapes how you do life? What shapes how you think about life? What shapes how you handle money? What shapes how you do marriage? What shapes how you rear your kids? What shapes how you work in your various places of employment? So he says, slaves, obey your earthly masters. We know that this is not Americanized slavery. I've already talked to you about this. You can just substitute employee and employee here. All right? God, the Bible never ordains uh, uh, slavery. And I showed you last week where it says slave traders, that's sin. All right? So we already got that out of the way. So for those of y'all who try to map the Bible to your modern-day vernacular, you got to understand context, right? Who's writing? Who's writing to? What's the culture at that time? So, we, so let's bring it up to 2023. You can, you can put in there employee. Everybody say employee. employee. Obey your earthly masters, managers, owners with deep respect and fear. Serve them sincerely as you would serve Christ. Next verse says this. Let's go. Try to please them all the time, not just when they are watching you. All right? When you're at work, you should not work just when your supervisor, your manager is standing around. And the church said amen. amen. Because God is watching you. As slaves of Christ, do the will of God with all your heart. Next verse. Work with enthusiasm as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Let's read that out loud together. Everybody let's read. Work with what? Enthusiasm as though you were working for the Lord rather than for what? For people. Let's keep reading. Remember that the Lord will what? Whether we are slaves or free. Next verse, let's read. Masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Don't threaten them. Remember, you both have the same master in heaven, and he ain't got no favors. <laughs> Can I get a witness up in here? All right, all right. So, so as we, we begin to, to pick back up, look, look on your outline. This should be on the back of your sheet. Uh, we, we, we talked about last week some things I think it's is important for us to know and to understand, right? Uh, we shared with you. Um, about 10 essentials for living out the biblical blueprint for work. Many of us have been under the mistaken notion that work was something that was mandated because of man's fall in the garden. But as we look at scripture, we understand when we go through the book of Genesis that we find out that God had given Adam an assignment before he ever fell into sin. Are you with me? He told him to work the garden, to dress it, to keep it. I told you on last week, if you have a flower bed in front of your house, it looks beautiful when it's clean. But if you leave it alone and do nothing to it, I promise you weeds will begin to grow up. And that thing that looks so beautiful one month ago will look like something that, 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 that's making your house go down in value. Right? So you can't just stand still and expect Amen, amen, power, beauty, growth to continue. You have to work it. Everybody say work it. Now, I told you on last week, number one, we said that uh, 10 essentials for living out the biblical blueprint for work. We said, number one, as it relates to work, be motivated by the gospel. Everybody say the gospel. 
Our primary motivation for wanting to excel at work should come from what Jesus has done for us and how he has transformed us and given us a new mindset. Everybody say new mindset. See, the gospel frees us to view our work as worshiping, serving God. Number two, we said, do your best and over-deliver in your work. Colossians 3 and 20. 323 and 20. Look at that last week. Many people settle for just good enough in their job. Don't let that be you. I'm gonna I'm gonna read uh, something by uh, an author by the name of Rick Arena uh, shared this uh, in, in one of his writings, one of his books. He says, "I'll never forget the day when the Lord suddenly spoke to my heart as I was praying, and shocked me by what He told me." I heard the Holy Spirit say, Rick, if you're going to do what I've called you to do, it's time for you to remove slothfulness from your life. All right, now listen to this. He says, I was shaken when I heard these words. I had always been such a hard worker and couldn't imagine why the Lord would tell me that. I needed to remove, why he told me to remove laziness from my life. I sat quietly for a moment and thought about the Holy Spirit's message to me. It upset me to think the Lord would think of me as lazy. But in reality, the Lord hadn't spoken a word to me about laziness. He had spoken to me about slothfulness. Until that day, I had always thought slothfulness and laziness were the same thing, but they're not. How many of y'all thought that too? All right. He says, I said to the Lord, Lord, you know how hard I've been working in the ministry I know you're aware of how many hours I spend writing books, developing materials, traveling, teaching seminars, and preaching in more than 400 different services every year. How could you ever accuse me of being lazy, Lord? The Holy Spirit gently answered me. He said, he says, I didn't say a word to you about laziness. You're a good worker, and I will not accuse you of laziness, but you are slothful, and I want you to eradicate this slothfulness from your life. He says this, for the first time in my life, I realized there's a difference between laziness and slothfulness. And because Hebrews 6 and 12 speaks of slothfulness, I turned there first to begin my study as I sought to discover what the word slothful really meant. It says, Hebrews 6 and 12, that you be not what? Slothful, but what? Followers of them who through faith and patience do what? Inherit the promises. He says, to my utter amazement, I discovered that slothful doesn't have anything to do with laziness. Hear this correct. I need y'all listen to this. It comes from the Greek word nothros, N-O-T-H-R-O-S. Everybody say N-O-T-H-R-O-S. Nothros, and that describes something that is dull, monotonous, unexciting, something that is slow and sluggish or something that has lost speed or its momentum. Y'all hear me? This something is still moving, but it isn't moving with the same velocity and aggressiveness it once had. It has lost the drive. It's lost the thrust. It's lost the impetus. It's lost the the, the pace and, 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 and speed it once possessed. This word, therefore, presents the idea of someone who was once, hear me carefully, all you saints out there who've been in this position. He says, this this word here, therefore, presents the idea of someone who was once zealous about something, but whose zeal has now dissipated. And it's replaced instead with just neutrality. Some of y'all just neutral. 
You ain't strong one way or the other. You just kind of blase, blase in the middle of the road. You could take it or leave it. But there was one point in time in your Christian walk where you was passionate. You were passionate. You were zealous about the things of God. You were interested in seeing others come to the Lord Jesus Christ. You were interested in, in sharing your testimony. But it's been years since you told anybody outside the church about your faith. Still moving. But you ain't got the same pace you once had. And this ain't got nothing to do with age, baby. You can be old and still have momentum. Come on, all my 60 and overs in the house. So the Greek word nothros could be could be typified by a, a candle that no longer burns brightly as it once did. Now its flame has dwindled to a flicker of its original intensity. The candle still gives light, right? But not the way it once did. Thus, the word nothros doesn't present the picture of laziness. Rather, it speaks of, hear me carefully, it speaks of someone who has lost his zeal or his intense conviction about a matter that once was of great importance to him. It denotes a person, hear me carefully, who has become disinterested and whose zeal has been replaced with a middle-of-the-road take it or leave it mentality. So, so because of that word nothros, we, we could interpret Hebrews 6 and 12 like this. Quit acting like someone who has lost his enthusiasm and excitement and is now sunk into a state of being slow, boring, monotonous, sluggish, dull, and uninterested. Now, I want you to think about the Lord. I want you to think about everything in your life. He says this, when I grasped what the word slothful really meant, I began wishing the Lord had accused me of being lazy. <laughs> he says, I, I saw that slothfulness has nothing to do with the amount of energy you or I put out to do a job. Instead, it speaks of an inward condition. It talks about what's on the inside. Even though it may look like we're going somewhere on the outside, inwardly we're stuck in neutral. And we ain't going nowhere. Think about yourself. Where are you? What's on the inside of you? I, yeah, I know you come to church. Yes, I know you're involved in that ministry. Yes, I know you do this and that. that. But where are you on this side? Where is the passion? Where is the zeal for the things of God? Where is that, 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 that push that drove you to say, God, you gave me this ministry and I'm going to run with it hard. Not only am I going to run with the heart on the outside, but on the inside, I'm going I'm to continue to seek your guidance and your direction for what you called me to do. He closed like this. Listen to this. So Nostra speaks of an inward condition. He says, in my case, I was doing a lot for the Lord, like a lot of us in here. I was doing a lot for the Lord at, the t- at that time. However, right in the midst of all that activity, I was become hardened to the things of the spirit. I was losing the edge I once possessed. When the Lord told me to remove slothfulness from my life, he was calling me to eradicate any hint of spiritual neutrality and to reclaim the red hot position I had previously held in my walk with him. If you are serious about serving and pleasing God, you must view the loss of your passion, your momentum and desire as totally unacceptable. If I were to poll this audience right now, probably half, maybe 75% of you all in here, you're born again. If you die, you're going to heaven, but you ain't got no passion. You don't have any zeal for the things of God. Oh, yes, you're involved in ministry. 
and you do the things, and, and, and we see you, and we say, man, that's great. On the outside, but not for us is the inside thing. And God is looking at our inside. When the Spirit of God tells you to move and go do something to somebody, do you move like you used to? Nah, I'm going to pass on that one. See, we got to make sure that we're not in that position. Watch this, and I, I got to close it. He says, you can get back on track by repenting and deciding to turn from slothfulness and neutrality. You can remove this hindrance from your life. So if you lost your momentum in running your spiritual race, don't stay in neutral. If you continue in that sorry state, it will only be a matter of time before you look back and realize how much ground you've lost. Now, I'm telling you something. Can I say this out loud in public? I'm going to say it. I think this church for a period of time got into a state of neutrality as a whole. We were not moving at the pace that we once were. Oh, y'all don't want to amen on that. And I'm not talking about activity because one of the things that you're going to find out as we move forward in faith in this ministry, it's not about having a bunch of activities here at the church and a bunch of meetings. It's about what are we doing, where are we going, how are we interjecting ourselves into the culture at large? How are we uh, in sharing our testimony, sharing our faith, serving mankind, showing the love of God, showing his grace and mercy to those who need it in a desperate way? That's what we're going to be. That's what we are. That's, that's what we are about. The momentum, the nothros, we don't want that slothfulness in our spirit. Can I get a witness? We got to move. Everybody say, it's time to move. Say, it's time to work. All right. So, so as it relates to work, be motivated by the gospel. Number two, do your, your best and over deliver in your work. Just good enough in a job. It's not good enough. Don't let that be you. Be, number three, we said, be a master in your craft, your line of work. Be a master. The skillful will be sought out for their expertise and will have great influence. When you do what you do well, amen, jobs will come looking for you. Let me say it again. When you do what you do well, jobs will come looking for you. I was talking to my older sister, and she's a, she got that same mentality from my dad. She's a hard worker. And, and so she, she, she's doing remote work because of the illness of her husband. Uh, and she was telling me, she, says, she, says, she, says, she, says, she called me fella. She said, fella, every three, every week, three or four job uh, opportunities come my way. Headhunters calling me, trying to get me to to, to work for them because they look at her resume, they see her, her, her broader way of experience, and they see her work ethic that's been, that, she, that she's shown over the years, and she, she has to turn down opportunities three or four a week. Because I'm going to tell you, when you're good at what you do, work will find you. When you're good at what you do, compensation will come your way. When you learn how to work heartily as unto the Lord, Come on now. So if, if nothing is coming your way, check out how you're working. Look at neighbor and say, neighbor, how you're working. All right, look at number four here. Number four, work well with, uh, let's work well with others. Let's go to Proverbs, the 25th chapter. Proverbs 25, verse number 13. Work, everybody say, work well with others. Now, it is not a given. I know and I understand, having been in the corporate environment, having been in the church environment, having served in ministry for for all these number of years, I recognize and I know good-hearted people who love Jesus and say, die, they're going to heaven, can sometimes not be good to work with. 
or don't know how to work well with others. You work well with others as long as your idea is being pushed forward. But there's another idea being pushed forward. You got something to say. You ain't pleased. Your spirit is vexed. Your spirit is vexed because you like being in control of everything. Can I get somebody to say amen on that? Some of y'all married to some of those kind of folks. Say, help us, Jesus. Help us, Jesus. All right. Can, 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 we, can we back up, Jay, back up to verse number 11. Let's, let's walk down here. So we, we say work well with others. It's important for us to be able to work well with others. Now, the Bible does say this. As much as it lies in you, live peaceably with all men. That means that there are going to be some men, there are going to be some women who make it difficult to live peaceable with. Because they're very argumentative, they're very contrary, they're very adversarial, and they make it hard. But listen, if you got enough Holy Ghost on the inside of you, you can deal with that person. As a matter of fact, in some cases, God plants you directly in that department to deal with that person and to deal with some stuff that's in you. And you keep trying to run from them, God says, oh... Come right on back here because I got to teach you how to, to be who I want you to be. Watch the text. Are y'all there? Let's read. Come on, read together. It says what? Timely advice is lovely like golden apples to basket. To one who listens, valid criticism is like a gold earring of other gold jewelry. If you learn to listen, sometimes people will tell you stuff, but you got to listen. A friend loveth at all times. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. A true friend will tell you when you're wrong. They know you're going to get mad, but they don't care because they're your friend. And if y'all true friends, you won't stay mad too long. This is my friend right here. I'm married to my friend right here. And there are times when I get mad at her. <laughs> the Douglas is on the front. Y'all, 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 you know what? I, I see y'all real good. Now, the Douglas on the front row, they've been married for a number of years. Has it been 30? It'll be 33. They've been married for 33 years. I can promise you. They're good friends. They love each other. But there are some times that Kenny is mad at Sherry. Sherry is mad at Kenny. But they still here. They still connected in covenant relationship. All right? So that's some, that'll be some time. True friend, faithful to the wounds of the friend, but the kiss of the end of the deceitful. Okay? So if you got a friend that never... I'll, here's what I would say. If you got a friend, person you call your friend, but y'all never had a, 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 a good falling out, y'all probably not really as good a friend as you think y'all are. I, I'm going to go out on limb and say that because because that's going to be some conflict. There's going to be some times where you view things differently. And if you're that type of person, well, I ain't going to say nothing because that may hurt their feelings. I'm going to keep it to myself. And all of this time that the, a root of bitterness begins to build up on the inside of you because you can't express what you really want to say. Yes. <sighs> right. Can I keep moving? To one who listens, valid criticism is like a gold ring or other gold jewelry. That means it's valuable. Look at the next verse. It says what? Trustworthy messengers refresh like what? Like snow in the summer. They revive the spirit 
of their employer. Can we read it again? Let's read it. Trustworthy messengers refresh like snow in the summer. How many of y'all know that if it began to snow right now, would it have been 100 degrees outside, that snow would be refreshing. Man, it's been hot. Now, I don't know about anybody else, and you can say what you want to say about whether or not you believe that there's global warming or climate change, but something different. Something is hitting different nowadays. Can I get a witness? In Alex and Phoenix, for the last two weeks or so, they've had temperatures of 110 degrees. Asphalt bucking up, concrete breaking apart. Something is hitting different. Storms seem to be moving with greater intensity than they ever have before. Are y'all listening to me? So there's something amiss. There's something going on. But, but, but if you get snow on a 100-degree day, that's refreshing. Like a cool glass of water. Ice cold. The glass frosted on the outside. And you drink it and chug-a-lugging it down. Everybody says that's refreshing. The text says, trustworthy messengers refresh like snow in summer. They revive the spirit of their employer. So how are you? Are you, are you like snow in the summertime? I'm going to come to some of y'all places of employment and ask about you. Is Sister Joan like snow in the summertime? <laughs> or is she like fire on a 110 degree day? All right? So, 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 so work well with others. Get, we got to change our mindset and understand that God is utilizing the avenue of work to transform us. It's not just about the task at hand. It's about what God is trying to move on the inside of us. So work well, work well with others. Can I, I'm going to take a, just a short sidebar here, and I want to go to Genesis 39 chapter. In Genesis chapter 39, it's one of my favorite passages of scripture to describe how our attitude should be when it comes to work and what we're doing. Genesis 39 chapter, and y'all know this story, but I, I need y'all to see it again. Genesis 39, and start at verse number one. Let me get some backdrop, because backdrop and background is important. Y'all know this is Joseph. We're going to see Joseph. Joseph was sold. Actually, Joseph... <laughs> Because of the jealousy of his brothers, was actually sold into captivity. His brothers, because of their jealousy, and let me let me say, Joseph wasn't all innocent in this thing too. Because there was some stuff that God had to work out of Joseph, because God saw farther down the line where He was taking Joseph to be the deliverer and the savior of the, of the children of Israel. So he had to deal with some of his pride, some of his, some of his cockiness, if you will, that was on the inside of him because, you know, he was, he was a dreamer and he had dreams and he saw things. But there's a way you can do a thing that can cause others to come at you and, and not like you. And here Joseph is, the one who God had picked to be the one who saved the seed. Amen. Because God, in, in his infinite wisdom, did everything that he could to protect the seed. What's the seed? The seed is the one who's going to be born in a manger in Bethlehem, and he's coming through the Jewish nation. Had the Jewish nation been destroyed, the seed would have been destroyed. Let me tell you something. God's plan are far wiser than anything that man could ever come up with. And God says, I got a man who's going to protect my family that's going to bring the seed to the earth realm, but I got to prepare him to be able to leave. 
so I got to get some stuff out of them that he don't even know is in them. How many of y'all know sometimes we have some stuff in us that we don't even know is in us? Somebody else may see it, but we don't know. We think we're all right. Oh, hold my music. Watch this. Watch this. I'll explain it later, Jeff. Okay. <laughs> when Joseph, that's the inside joke, okay? When Joseph was taken to Egypt by the Ishmaelite traders, now I'm talking about attitude. I'm talking about approach. I'm talking about Northrush, our inward motivation. The, 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 you know, not being neutral, not being blase, blase, whatever it will be, will be, quesarasara, whatever it will be. No, 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 no. There has to be a passion and a drive to know God's will and to know God's way for every aspect of our life. Watch this. When Joseph was taken to Egypt by the Israelite traders, he was purchased by Potiphar, an Egyptian officer. Potiphar was captain of the guard for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Now watch this. The Lord was, the Lord was, I need y'all to read that with me. The Lord was. No, no, no. Y'all need to read it out loud. The Lord was. But Pastor, I thought you just told me his brothers, because of jealousy, threw him in a pit, but cool hell heads prevailed. And one of the brothers said, no, we're going to do that. We're going to sell him. We're going to fake his death, tell that an animal ate him up, and we're going to sell him into slavery and make some money off of him. Like, can you imagine how that could have messed Joseph up? Some of y'all messed up right now because of sibling relationships that are all out of whack. The dysfunctionality of your family is causing you headache and heartache and pain right now, and you're 65. I'm telling you, listen, when we learn how to get free in Jesus, whom the Son sets free, it's free indeed. But too many of us are still bound. So the Lord was, the Lord was, the Lord was what? But I thought, but Pastor, you just told me he was sold into slavery. But Pastor, you just told me that his brothers pulled an okie doke on him. His brothers, his own family, was hating on him. And here he is in Egypt, sold by his brothers. But yet the text says the Lord was what? Let me say something right quick, okay? As a believer, as a true believer, a true believer has to be prepared both to live a full life and to do his work on this earth. God has to prepare us. God does the preparing. He prepares the believer by doing four things. Just say on your note, but just make a mental note of it. He prepares the believer by doing four things. Number one, God takes the blessings and trials of our everyday life to purge the sin from our life. God takes the trials. Everybody say trials. All of us have them. He takes the trials and the blessings. Many of y'all sit out there like the blessing, but you don't like the trial. He takes the blessings and the trials of everyday life to purge the sin from the believer's life. See, in Joseph's case, the sin was pride, arrogance, haughtiness, and a little cockiness. All right? So he had to deal with that. Number two, God takes the blessings and trials of everyday life to teach the believer whatever he needs to learn to become the worker and servant and leader God wants him to be. Let me say it again. It takes the blessings and trials of everyday life to teach the believer whatever he needs to learn to become the worker. If I say worker, the servant, if I say servant, and the leader God wants him to be. Can I get a witness? See, God has called the believer to a particular work. 
I believe that many of y'all have been called to the healthcare industry because you have a heart and compassion for, for hurting people. There are some people who are in the healthcare industry that don't, don't need to be there. We had a, we had a, a, a situation not just too long ago with, with Marari and, and the, the nurse there, both of them had some issues. But, but uh, it's clear that one of, one of them knew what they were doing but, but just didn't have no kind of bedside manners whatsoever. And the other one knew what she was doing, obviously, but she was kind of, she was almost on the, on the point, of, I, I'm going to call it almost not really caring too much, just do, doing the bare minimum. And if you're going to be doctoring on somebody, helping nurse somebody, you need to have a, a compassionate spirit about yourself. So I believe there, 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 there many of y'all have been called to, the, to, to, to teach. You're in the teaching profession, and you've been, it's a calling in your life. It's certainly not a money maker. Can I get one teacher in the, in the house say amen? amen? If I were in charge, now I'm not in charge, but if I were in charge, teachers would make a whole lot more than what they're making right now. Yeah. 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 They didn't put me in charge, but they did. Hey, you, I, I'm going I'm to get the best and the brightest. And not, not, not saying that we don't have, we, there's some good teachers and some bad teachers, just like, just like there's some good preachers and some bad preachers. And there's some good electricians and some unhealthy electricians. In every circle of influence, you've got people of different scopes and different levels of commitment. So God is trying to get us there. God takes the blessings and trials of everyday life to teach the believer what he needs to learn to become the worker, the servant, and the leader God wants him to be. Thirdly, God takes the blessings and trials of everyday life and strengthens the believer to make better decisions in the future. How many of y'all will admit that at 45, you made, you made better decisions than you did at 22. Anybody in the house? Man, if I, if I knew what I knew at 60 when I was 20, man, I'd be off the chain. If I knew the stuff that I know now back then. And let me tell you something. It wasn't that that wasn't available, but sometimes you cocky when you're 20, 21, 22 and think you know more than that person that mom and dad, oh, they don't know. they old fogey. Maybe mom and dad been through what you're trying to go through. They, they, they saw that kind of man before. But you ain't saw, you ain't, you ain't saw Slick Rayshon before. She dated Slick Rayshon for three years and found out what he was. But you think you got the best thing since sliced light bread. She can see him coming a mile away. But you wouldn't listen till experience had to teach you. And now you know Slick Rayshon, what kind of dude he really is. Hello? All right, whatever. God takes the blessings and trials of everyday life and strengthens the believer to make better decisions in the future. I promise you, there are some things and decisions I make today that I'm making it because of learned experience. Now, experience is not the best teacher. It can be one of the, it can be a, 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 what I call a strong teacher, but the best teacher to me is, is when I see what the word of God says and I make a conscious decision to follow God's word. And, and when God says go left, I go left. We say go right, I go right. We say don't do it, I don't do it. He says do, do it, I do it. Amen. Are, you, are you following me? Now, you can learn by experience, and sometimes we have to be, we have to hit our heads up against the brick. But experience can be a teacher. But I, I believe the best way to learn is, is if I watch you go in the ditch, I'm going to say, hmm, if I go down that path right there, I'm going to fall in the ditch because I just saw Brenda go in that ditch. 
So, Brenda, I love you. You're in the ditch. Why don't you go in the ditch? Tell me, tell me about that process of going to the ditch. So, Brenda tells me about the process of going to the ditch. And Brenda tells me, don't go down there, Pastor. I've been there before. Are you with me? So I'm going to listen to Brenda, and then when that pathway comes up, when the enemy starts says, go down that path, I'm going to say, no, 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 I hear Brenda saying, don't do it. Don't do it, dummy. She's telling me, she's telling me, okay? So I'm listening. All right, so, 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 so uh, God takes the blessings and trials of everyday life and strengthens the believer to make better decisions in the future. And number four, God takes the blessings and trials of everyday life and teaches us the greatest of all lessons. What is that, Pastor? That he and he alone can take care of everything, both now and eternally. So I don't care what you're dealing with, God can take care of you. I don't care what kind of situation you're going through, hear me carefully, God can see you through it. Through some of the greatest hurts and pains in life, the Lord can see you. How do you know that, Brother Pastor? I've tried him for myself. I've seen him make a way out of nowhere. I've seen him heal a broken heart. I've experienced it. I know what it means to not have hope. I know what it means to, 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 uh, to not know how it's going to work out. And then I watched the Lord. While I was trying to figure it out, he'd already worked it out. Can I get a witness up here? So I, I, I've learned, I've learned how to trust him. Lou, I learned how to trust him. I learned how to trust him when I don't see what he's up to. I learned how to trust him when I can't feel what he's up to. When my heart may be broken, my heart may be heavy, my emotionally I may be distraught, but I, I still learn how to trust him. Because I know he will provide. All right, can I get back? All right. So, so get back to Genesis 30, 39. Watch it, watch it. Man, so Joseph is one of my, I, I love uh, talking about Joseph because he's the epitome of what it means to be a person who follows God, who, who, who recognizes that God is there with him. Watch the text. It says, so the Lord was with Joseph, so he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. All right? Let's, let's read on. Next verse. It says, Potiphar, now watch this. The Lord, the Lord was with Joseph, but I want you to recognize something. Here, here, here we have Potiphar. By, now the Bible never tells us he, he's, he's an Egyptian official. All right? And he was, he was not Jewish. He didn't have a covenant with the God of Israel. But the Bible says the Lord was with Joseph. But notice something here. The Bible says Potiphar noticed this. Wait, 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 wait. He noticed that everything that Joseph touched was prosperous. Go back to, back up, back up. Come on. Help me, help me, help me. It says, says, uh, 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 the Lord was with Joseph, so he succeeded. Jason, you're so good, man. Thank you. The Lord was with Joseph, so he succeeded everything he did as he served he succeeded in everything he did as he what? Served. Here he was, sold into slavery by his brothers, could have been messed up for the rest of his life, but he had a covenant with God, and he, he stood on that covenant, and he worked as if he was working unto the Lord. Watch this. The Lord's with Joseph, so he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. Potiphar noticed this, 
and realize what? Let me tell you something. People may not be saved, but when you walk in with the Lord, somebody's going to know God is inside of you. Can I get a witness? He wasn't saved, but he recognized that the Lord was with whom? Joseph. And when you step into your place of employment, know that you've been with the Lord. People ought to be able to discern that you've got a prayer life. People ought to be able to discern that you have a personal relationship with Jesus and not that you go to church and you're a good Baptist. Boy, I tell you what, it doesn't matter what denomination. I hate when people even ask, well, what, what are you? I'm a Christian. Denominationalism will never save anybody. So don't put stock in a denomination. Hello? We de-emphasize that around here. Okay? Y'all with me? Because it's not about denominations, it's about are you saved. Potiphar knows this and realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything that he did. Now watch this. Listen, listen to this. Here he is. Joseph was working as unto the Lord. The text says, is this pleased Potiphar? So he soon made Joseph his personal attendant. He put him in charge of his entire household and everything that he owned. He says, I'm going to give you stewardship over everything that I have. Because first of all, I see that you are a hard worker, that you, that you, that you do have a conviction on the inside. And it's not just what you're doing on the outside. I'm noticing what you're doing on the outside, but I know you've been with the Lord. And whatever you're doing is prospering because the Lord is with you. The Lord was with him when he was here in slavery. The Lord was with him. So let me tell you something. Do you think the Lord is with you in your place of employment you've been trying to leave for the last two years? Is he with you? Or do you go to work complaining every day? When's the last time you thanked the Lord that, hey, I'm not making what I want to make God, but I thank God that I'm, I don't, I, I, I'm making more than zero. This is not where I want to ultimately land in my career growth, but God, while I am where I am, I got to thank you that I'm here right now, God. I got to thank you that you blessed me to have this income coming in to help feed my family. When's the last time you did that? Now, some of y'all been for a long time, have you? I'm just tired. Maybe you're tired because you mentally haven't ascended to what work is really all about. How, how are you working? Everybody say, how are you working? See, whatever we do, we should do it heartily as unto the Lord, as if we're working for the Lord and not for men. Okay? See, here's what I sense, and here's what I know. Too many Christians are complaining about where they are right now. I never said for you to be satisfied where you are. If it's your desire to, to have certain goals, man, knock it out, go for it. But while you are where you are, be like Joseph and keep your covenant commitment to God and work as unto the Lord. And if you are working as unto the Lord and, you, and you're doing your job, not just okay, but you are excelling and doing it with the spirit of excellence, I promise you somebody's going to notice. Don't wait. Don't wait till somebody watch you to do it the way God wants you to do it. Do it that way all the time. All right, so let's get back, get back, y'all. So, so 
displeased Potiphar, so he soon made Joseph his personal tenant. He put him in charge of his entire household and everything he owned. Next verse says, well, from the day Joseph was put in charge of his master's household and property, the Lord began to bless Potiphar's house. Why? I told you all before, some of these companies are making record profits because you up in there. I just, I just read, and, and, and keep up with economic news, y'all, so you can, you can be in, in, in the know about stuff. Um, I was just reading the other day about how airlines are making record profits. And one of the unions just negotiated, I think it was United Airlines, that over the next four years, they're going to get raises that are going to amount to 40% over a four-year period. Now, listen, and, and some of the other ones are coming up now, and they're making record profits as, as people get back to traveling from the p- pandemic. Now, listen, my son is a pilot now. And he, he's getting ready to start flying sometime in September. And I believe, I just believe that those record profits are coming because he's going up in there. And he needs some money. I believe God is blessing the airline because that one dude is there. Now, you ain't got to believe that, but I believe it. When I read that, I was like, ooh. Yes, Lord. Bless him, God. Bless him, bless him. From the day Joseph was put in charge of his master's household and property, the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. All his household affairs ran smoothly, and his crops and livestock flourished. Watch this. Come on. I'm not going to finish. Can I finish next week? I know. I, y'all, I prop Sandra, I'm sorry. All right, watch this. So, so Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned. With Joseph there, he didn't worry about a thing. Except what kind of food he was going to eat. Joseph was a very handsome well-built young man. Now watch this. Now listen, I'm a, I'm, I got to put this in and I got to stop, okay? All right, so when you're, when, when you're there working as in the Lord, when you're doing things God's way, don't you think for one second when God is prospering you and you found favor with the person who, who, who's, who you report to, don't think for one second that Satan is sitting behind anybody and going to watch that thing go and not try to interrupt it. He's going to use this person over here that one over there that had a demonic spirit for a long time. And he's coming after you. So watch this. He comes after this man. God is blessing him. And let me tell you something. At work, you got to be careful. Because the enemy can come. Watch how he comes here. Text says this. Next verse. Watch this. Watch this. Watch this. And Potiphar's wife soon began to look at him. How? It wasn't the fact that she looked at him and said, that's a handsome young man. And moved on. But the text says she looked at him how? Lustfully is an adverb that describes how she looked. The Bible even tells us in the New Testament as it relates to the sin of adultery. Some of y'all say, I ain't never committed adultery. But you probably have. Because Jesus says, if you look upon a woman with lust in your heart. In other words, if you look upon her lustfully, you've already committed adultery in your heart. And I can reverse that because men ain't the only one committing adultery. They're doing it with somebody. And it's usually a woman. Usually. Usually. I can't guarantee that today. But usually a woman. So there are some women who are looking at men lustfully. And oftentimes it happens 
in the work environment because you're in close proximity. As a matter of fact, if you evaluate your time, many of you spend more waking hours at work than you do at home with your family. I mean waking hours. So you're working with this person. I told you before, you have to be on guard. This lady saw, <laughs> this lady saw him. The Bible says Joseph was handsome and well-built. The dude had, I mean, you know, he, he probably could have had his pick of, 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 of whoever. And she being uh, married to a person in authority, probably she wasn't an ugly woman. Here Joseph is, away from his family, sold into slavery, had just, you know, but he had the right attitude. So now watch this, watch this. So the enemy comes, all right? And the text says, the powerful wife soon began to look up and lustfully come and sleep with me, she demanded. She was bold. And I've discovered that women are bold nowadays. It used to be men had to chase, but now men are being chased. Everybody say, quit being thirsty. <laughs> say it loud. Say, quit being thirsty. <laughs> now, if you don't know what thirsty means, it's a slang word. Go look it up. I told you all about five weeks ago what thirsty meant. If you don't know, go look it up and stop being that. <laughs> so, so Paul's wife soon began to look at him lustfully. Come and sleep with me, she demanded. Watch this. Come on. But Joseph refused. Look, he told her, my master trusts me with everything in his entire... My master trusts me with everything in his entire household. Watch the text. He says this. No one here has more authority than I do. He has held back nothing from me except you because you're his wife. How could I, watch this, how could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against Potiphar. Is that what he said? No, 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 no. He said it would be a great sin against whom? God. Now watch this. Hear me carefully. I would, if I'm a betting man, I would bet that most affairs don't start out as something that's intentional. Uh Hear me carefully. But when you're in your work environment, you got to put up guards. How many times have you came on, you told me that some guy tried to hit on you at work? I'm I'm, I'm not going to put you on blast, but but it's been a lot, haven't Oh, I know she's fine. I, I know she's fine. Uh, and, and there are a lot of fine women in this place. So that, that doesn't bother you that I say that, do it? What do you want me to say? Oh, oh no, she's ugly. She's ugly. No, no, she's not. She's pretty. She's fine. There's a lot, lot of y'all in here. So she, people be trying stuff. Now, some of them just so bold. Uh, you tell him I'm married, I am too? That's a bold devil there. Are you with me? But my point is, in, in a normal scope of things, if you're working with somebody closely, you have to put up boundaries. Because I don't care how saved you are, filled with the Holy Ghost. And if you feel with the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost will keep you, right? Everybody say, be filled with the Holy Ghost. But you still got flesh. And your flesh can start to talk. So you got to put up boundaries. But here, this, this woman is coming after Joseph because he was good-looking, well-built. He says, no, so, so in, in, a, in a work environment, 
be careful because when men and women working in close proximity, an emotional connection begins to take place, especially if things are not going right at home for you. Okay, you, you're at work, he listens to you, or she listens to you. And when you go home, your wife, you didn't do this, you didn't do it, you Now, this is not an excuse, but I'm just telling you what happens. It happens. In the church, it happens outside the church, it happens in places of employment. And so you got to put up boundaries. What is a boundary? A boundary is, a, is something that keeps you from trespassing. Are y'all with me? Okay. So my point is, you, you, you're working hard on the Lord, you're doing your thing, and, and you're growing, and you're prospering, and the enemy will, will try to use anything he can to knock you down. So we got to be careful. No, one's, no, no one has more authority than, than I do. He has held back nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How can I do this wicked thing? It would be sin, a great sin against whom? God. All right. Now, I, I said work well with others. And I said uh, don't be surprised by resistance because you're going to get resistance. That work. I, I can't unpack that today. Can I come back next week? <laughs> All right. But number six says bring integrity to the workplace. And that's why I got to stop because Joseph brings integrity to the workplace here. He's a man of integrity. He's not going to take material home from the job that he hadn't got permission to take home. Come on, Christians. All those pins. I'm not talking about promotional stuff that you give out, but I mean stuff that you just took and you went school supply shopping for your baby at work. <laughs> Everybody said that's not right. <laughs> Came home with a backpack and everything. That was for the clients. Everybody say integrity. Went out for a business lunch. It really wasn't a business lunch. It was just you and your homeboy catching up because y'all played ball together in college. And you wrote it down on your expense report as client development. Because <laughs> you know in the business world, you know, when you go out and take a client, you know, the business pays for it. But it, it needs to be a client relational thing. Nobody may not ever know that, but God does. He sits high and he... So... Bring integrity to the workplace. Proverbs 10 and 9, and I, I got to stop, y'all. Proverbs 10 and 9. Will y'all let me come back and pick back up here? Go to Proverbs 10 and 9 with me right quick. Because we see, we see Joseph exemplifying integrity. Now, guys, let me tell you something. Hear me carefully. I admire Joseph because here he is away from home, uh, he could have been, you know, had the wrong mindset and said, well, you know, Potiphar got me here. He bought me. So I'm going I'm to get him back. I'm going I'm I'm to I'm sleep with his wife and make him hurt. One of the dumbest things that happens is when someone violated or there's adultery in the marriage, a lot of times what happens is the other one goes back and does the same thing. 
in the attempt to get back at the other one. That is sin for sin is crazy. Don't do that. Just because somebody act a fool. And, and I'm going to tell you something, how God thought about that. Uh, you know, and, and you can recover from that. And, and there, there, there are marriages that have recovered and become stronger because they start doing it God's way. Uh, but I don't advise that. Amen. Let's do it God's way from the very beginning. Uh, but be, be a person of integrity. He says people with integrity walk safely. But those who follow, follow crooked paths will be exposed. If you are a believer, here's what I believe with all my heart. If you are a believer, God will give you a chance to get out of it. He'll warn you. He'll give messages like this today because some of y'all right now listen to me. You, you, you've gotten too close. You know you're close. You know you're closer than what you need to be. You know you're feeling something that you shouldn't feel. And now you're trying to find ways to get in front of her, trying to find ways to get in front of him. And, and the Lord had me come today and tell you this just the way I told you. I didn't tell you with high platitudes. I didn't, I didn't talk like I was dealing with a doctrinal thesis. I just told you, get away from her. You know what you're feeling. She know what you're feeling. Y'all catch each other's eyes. Now, y'all, y'all, listen, come on, can we talk about it? How do you know when, when you begin to develop an attraction for somebody? You know how that goes. Help me, Jesus. It happens with Christians. Just because you say, don't mean they fall doesn't mean you cannot fall. Okay? Joseph was a man of integrity. So, bring integrity to the workplace. Each day we are presented with opportunities to add to our reputation of integrity or we can destroy it. Every day you make decisions that can add to your reputation for integrity or you can, you can destroy your reputation of integrity. It's hard to get it back once you destroy it. And all of us in here, we're honest have made decisions in our work environment, in probably our home environment, that did not indicate that we were people of integrity. Can you raise your hand like I'm going to raise mine? I hadn't did it all right all the time. But I thank God for the blood that washes away my sins. I thank God for the blood that made me whole again. I thank God for the blood that forgives me and casts my sins as far as the east is from the west. It's not an excuse for my sin, but I thank God I have a Savior who delivered me. I got to stop. Father, we thank you and praise you for this awesome privilege.